take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. Everyone experiences the pain and disappointment of rejection in this life. But the Bible offers a remedy, proclaiming, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how God's approval acts as a shield that protects you from the sting of rejection. To introduce the uplifting conclusion of his message, Disapproval, the Fear of Rejection, here's David. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of the Turning Point family. I hope you're among those who listen every day or perhaps even watch every day on our daily television program. We're so happy to have you, and we count it a great privilege to come with one purpose in mind, to lift up Jesus Christ through the teaching of God's Word. Today, we're in the midst of a study on the subject of fear. What does the Bible say about fear? And we'd like to send to you a very special bookmark that has one of the signature biblical passages written on it. This bookmark's absolutely free. You don't have to do anything to get it except ask for it. It's a a little bit larger in, in width. Well, it's got on the front of it, Move from Fear to Fear Not. And on the back is Isaiah 41.10, a reminder that God is with you wherever you go. It goes along with the book Hope. It's a great bookmark for that particular volume if you happen to have it or have ordered it. But most of all, it's just a reminder to you that if you're not careful, you can think about the scary world in which you live and forget about the resource that God has given you, and that's the presence of himself wherever you go and whatever you do. Just got off the phone not long ago talking to a pastor friend of mine who is in Dallas, Texas. And as we're recording these programs, uh, you will remember what an awful thing Dallas went through and Texas went through in the storms. He was just telling me again how these moments have uh, made him aware of the presence of God and how he has sustained him, his congregation, people that he knows through this trying time which comes on top of COVID. So there are scary times that we all face. And what we want you to remember from today and as we go forward in the rest of these messages is God is with you. He will never leave you no matter what goes on in your life. Let's get started with today's lesson. In Matthew's account of what happened in Gethsemane, we know that Peter was walking in the energy of the flesh because most obviously, it was demonstrated by his attack on the high priest's servant. Peter wasn't in the spirit when he did that. You say, well, didn't God tell Peter to do it? Absolutely not. No one in the high priest's party had attacked Jesus. Peter went on the offensive on his own, making an unprovoked attack with a sword. What was he thinking? 
you see how absurd this is when Jesus responds. Listen, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels, thousands of angels? If I had been Peter, I would have turned beet red with embarrassment. Here I am, a lowly fisherman, wielding a seldom-used sword, trying to defend someone who had legions of angels waiting at his command to strike. Give me a break. Why didn't Jesus call his angels? Well, the point is, he didn't call his angels because, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Here's what Peter was doing, and we do it too. Peter was trying to help God out, get God off the block. He was saying, in essence, I don't think the Father in heaven can take care of the Son on earth, so I'm going to have to intervene and help God. And then when Jesus said, Peter, don't be ridiculous. We don't need your lousy sword. I got all these angels. If I need help, I can just say a word. Put your sword away before you hurt somebody else. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We see something and we go off half-cocked in our own energy and our own flesh and we think we're going to fix it. We don't pray. So if we don't pray, we don't have any word from God. So we get in a situation where we could be under pressure and we just go bull ahead and then we get in trouble. That's Peter. That's classic Peter. Here's the fourth thing. We follow Jesus from afar. This is one of the most interesting parts of the story in my estimation. Luke twenty-two fifty-four says, Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now, what's going on here, class, is this. Peter wanted the approval of the followers of Jesus for following Jesus, but he didn't want the disapproval of the Jews for following Jesus. So he was concerned about what might happen to Jesus, and he didn't want it to happen to him. So he followed at a distance. That way, he could still be considered a follower of Jesus, but not following so close that if something happened to Jesus, it would happen to him. Don't shake your head like you've never been there and done that. You all have done that. So have I. It's kind of like what somebody once told me about a person they knew. They said he wanted to be saved, but he didn't want to be so saved. (laughs) Do you know what he meant by that? You know, just to kind of get in the kingdom, but don't go any further than that, just to be saved, but don't be fanatical about that. Do you know what? That's where a lot of Christian people are in our churches. They're saved. They know they're going to heaven. They're pretty certain they're not going to hell. They're members of the church, and they're saved, but they're not so saved. It doesn't really affect a lot of how they live their lives. That's where Peter was. He was following afar. He was a follower of Jesus, but not really. Let's don't go too far with this. That's what double-mindedness looks like in someone who fears man. He fears man so much that he's afraid to demonstrate total allegiance to Jesus. I recall that struggle as a young Christian in high school. I wanted to be approved by Jesus. I was a Christian. But at the same time, I wanted to be popular, and I wanted to be approved by my peers. The guys that I played basketball with and ran track with were not Christians. When I was with them, their agenda was much different than mine could ever be. But in order for me to fit in, I felt like I had a sort of And there for a while as a student in high school, I was living two lives. 
I had my life that I lived at home with my parents. My father was a pastor and the kids that went to church. And then I had the life that I lived at school with all the people that didn't go to church. Unfortunately, there were some crossovers and they got me in trouble. <laughs> Unfortunately, there were some kids that went to church and in my attempt to try to marry these two worlds, I made some serious mistakes. And some of you have heard me tell a story of when I got caught, I was playing a high school basketball game in a little gym that was in the town that I grew up in. It was a gym where the door kind of opened out into the street, and it was the winter, and some people had come in, and they hadn't gotten the water off the floor. And I was out on a fast break, and I hit the water, and I skidded, and I skidded over into a corner, and there were a bunch of Cedarville College students. My father was the president of Cedarville College, all standing down looking at me and not realizing who they were. I uttered a word that should never come out of the mouth of a young man who's related to the president of Cedarville College. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I realized... These people know I'm a phony. I remember that night as if it were yesterday. I went home in my little bedroom and got on my knees. We had bunk beds, and I was down on the bottom. I got on my knees before the Lord, and I said, God, I'm really tired of this. I can't live like this. I want to get both of my feet on the same side of the fence once and for all. And I did, and it wasn't an easy thing. I'm not going to tell you I didn't have any relapses, but that's where our kids are today. That's where we all are. You cannot live in both worlds, as we're going to see in just a moment. If we're not careful, we follow Jesus afar off, and then, number five, we find our fellowship in the wrong place. Notice John 18 again. We step back from the picture John paints of Jesus' arrest, and we see two groups of people, Jesus and his disciples in the garden, and the servants and the soldiers of the high priest entering the garden. And the two groups are essentially enemies. Now, fast forward maybe an hour, and we find a very curious scene. Peter is now standing in the midst of the courtyard with the people who just arrested his Lord, and he's warming himself by their fire. Is it any wonder that he couldn't come out for Jesus? He had, in so many ways, switched sides because of his fear of what they might do to him because of what they had done to Jesus, he's over here on their side trying to make peace with them so that the same thing that's going to happen to Jesus doesn't happen to him. Now, we can take that application way beyond where we should, but let me just say this. This is not just a teenage problem, is it? It's a problem we all face. And so, It's a reminder to us that who we hang out with usually has something to do with how we function. If you can hang out with people that don't know the Lord and be called and strong in your testimony so that they know who you are from the outset, then you have a chance. But if you try to morph into their group and be with them and a part of them, it won't be very long before you will be doing things you do not wish to do just so you can be approved by the group you're hanging out with. Be very careful about the friends you cultivate and the time you spend with people who are out to take you away from your faith. I'm not saying don't be friends with unbelievers. That's one of the big problems we have in the church. We can't get anybody saved because we don't know anybody that needs to be saved. We've never cultivated friendships with unbelievers. We need to do that. But you cannot allow them to set the agenda. That's what I'm saying. You have to be strong. You have to declare your faith. You have to walk in there, and in some way they need to know who you are and what you stand for. And then you can function in the group. But if you don't allow that to happen you will be victimized. Well, those are the realities of the fear of disapproval and some of the reasons for it. 
I want to finish up with some resolutions to help us get on the other side of it. And the good story here is that there is an act three to all of this. And it's in the 21st chapter of John. So if you have your Bibles, just turn over a few pages. John chapter 21 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because in this chapter, we see the grace and mercy and love of Almighty God. I have to tell you that after Jesus' resurrection, Peter probably thought his chances of finding a place in the kingdom were slim and none. So he and some of the other disciples went back to Galilee, and he's going to take up fishing again, going back to his original habits. But Jesus would have none of it. And the Bible tells us in John 21 that Jesus went after Peter, and he met him and the other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it was there that Peter discovered this good news, that even though he had miserably failed the Lord in the test of loyalty, it was possible to be restored. And here's what Jesus did for Peter and what he can do for us. Replace our fear of others with his approval of us. You know what Romans 8.31 says? It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Say that with me. If God be for us, who can be against us? Jesus did not abandon Peter. He pursued him. Hadn't Peter's rejection in the shadow of the cross cut him off from fellowship? As a matter of fact, Jesus decreed that it did not. Jesus' goal was to replace Peter's fear of men with his own approval. And once Peter knew that Jesus had forgiven him, he had no reasons to fear what others might say or do. He was back in the good graces of his master. I want you to know all of us who at one time or another have been afraid of disapproval and have in our own way denied the Lord. All we have to do is come back and ask for forgiveness and the Lord will forgive us. And as we're going to see, he can do more than forgive us. He can change us. The next thing I notice that we can do is to replace our fear of others with our love for him. As you read John chapter 21, you read about this interchange between Jesus and Peter. And three times in three verses, Jesus asks Peter the same question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you can almost sense in Peter's response, he's a little annoyed by it. Jesus, you know that I love you. And I know all the nuances about the Greek words there, but it's not my purpose to go into all that today. But simply to say that Jesus came alongside of Peter after his failure, and three times he solicited a response from Peter to solidify the relationship that he had with him in love. Thirdly, we can replace our fear of others with love for others. When Peter answered the question that he loved the Lord and he said, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus told him to do something again three times. In a little different wording, he said, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. You say, what is that all about? Well, Jesus is saying to Peter, now that you've got it straight, now that you know where your loyalty lies, live out your life for others. And when you're so involved in serving God in the lives of other people, you don't have time to be afraid of what they say. Here's the dynamic here, you guys. If you're afraid of what people will say, there's no way you're ever going to be able to serve them. But if you know who God is and what he has done in your life and you're strong and secure in his approval of your life, you've maybe messed up, but you've sensed his forgiveness, now you're set free to help others and to be an encouragement to them. And in the very process of helping others, you strengthen your faith. I remember thinking through this and I wrote down in my notes these words, when we love others, life is no longer about us and the fear of disapproval is driven away. Amen. So 
Number four, we can replace our fear of others with faith in him. Jesus now gives Peter a little forecast of his life. Peter's come through this test. He's now been forgiven. Now you think, well, now he's going to sail right on into eternity with no issues. And no, the Lord Jesus said, Peter, I want you to know this. Now that you've come through this test, I want you to know life is not going to be easy for you. He said to him in John 21, 18 and 19, but Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This Jesus spoke signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And if you know the story, the secular historians tell us how it happened. Peter was arrested and they crucified him. But before he was crucified, he requested that he be hung upside down because he did not believe that he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. He faced a lot of other tests. The Lord Jesus said to Peter, you're going to face some challenges. In essence, in the world you will have tribulation. But the rest of that is, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We need to not be naive about what we're facing in our world today, men and women. We've got to get it straight that our loyalty belongs to God or we'll be all over the place. Every week we are tested about this. Where do we stand with the Lord? I want to encourage you. Take energy from Peter here. Peter was a man who failed, but he got it right and he came back. And let me tell you what happened after that. Peter was a changed man. I remember after a Monday night NFL football game back in 1990, something happened in the NFL for the very first time. The San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants completed their game, and a group of eight players, some from both teams, gathered near the center of the field, and they knelt on one knee, and they prayed together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. First time that it ever happened. And the practice caught on, and soon other players began gathering on the field to pray after their games. And to no one's surprise, not everybody supported the idea of mixing your faith with football. Sports Illustrated, the iconic sports magazine, said the players should pray in private. NFL management considered prohibiting the practice, but the players made it known that they would not budge and that they would continue to pray after all the games. And some of them said, if you fine us, we will gladly pay the fine. So I've had to ask myself this question. If Peter were in the NFL... And I think he'd be a linebacker. I don't know about that. I don't know where that came from. I just thought that up. Here's the question. Would he maintain his faith in the face of media and spectator disapproval? Would he have? In the beginning, he would not. In the beginning, he would not. In the beginning, you would have never seen him out there on one knee praying after a football game. But after God got done with him and after he saw what had happened, I believe at the end, he would have led the prayer meeting, don't you? He would have been standing up with both hands up in the air and saying, bring it on. And the reason I know that is because after Peter was restored by the Lord and took a new look at what God had called him to do, he was a changed person. I don't have time to tell you all that happened except that with the other disciples, he preached a powerful sermon to the massive crowds in Jerusalem who were gathered on the day of Pentecost. And when he got done, he gave this conclusion to his sermon. See if this sounds like Peter before or Peter after. Here's what he said. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says the sermon was so powerful 
that people came from everywhere and 3,000 souls were converted on that day. And the Bible says later on as he was preaching that they watched him and Acts 4.13 says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, listen, the boldness of this man who was afraid. When they saw his boldness, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled. Here's Peter failing because of his fear. And here's Peter excelling because of his faith. And we have to live our lives out in one of the two ways, don't we? We either live in fear or we live in faith. I can't tell you that you can reproduce Peter's journey. None of us can. All of us will experience some of the emotions that Peter experienced. But what I can tell you is this. We can every one of us ask for the boldness of Peter. We can ask God to give us boldness in our lives as confined as that may seem to us. I promise you sometime this week, whatever you do, wherever you go, you will have an opportunity to declare your faith. You won't have to push it on anyone. You will just have to be normally a Christian and you will be tempted to water it down. Have you ever watched people pray in a restaurant who aren't sure whether they want to or not? They wet their head like this and say a quick prayer. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to find out the shortest prayers ever prayed were prayed in a restaurant. You know, bless the food, and on we go. And on the other hand, I had a friend that used to preach for me years ago who thought that he should make up for all of this by standing up in the restaurant and praying for the whole restaurant to hear, which was not the right thing to do either. I never wanted to go eat with him because I just... Why don't you come over to the house? We'll have a sandwich at my house tonight, right? (laughs) On the other hand, have you ever been in a restaurant where you saw a family, maybe a mom and dad, two or three kids, and without making a big deal out of it, they just join hands around the table, and before they eat, they say a prayer. And I'll tell you what, I almost want to cry every time I see it because I see it less and less than I used to. Men and women, we don't have to be ashamed of our faith. We don't have to be bull-nosed about it or... We don't have to be belligerent or obnoxious, but we need to stand up for what we believe. And we can't let this secular culture in which we live push us around and make us something that we're not. We are children of the king. We can stand with our hands up and our heads up high, and we can go on. So when you're tempted to be afraid of disapproval, just remember who approves you. And the one who approves you is the only approval you really need. Here's how it works. If you are in the right fear relationship with God, you need fear no man. If you know who God is and you understand how important he is, and if God has approved you, you don't need anybody else's approval. If God is for us, who can be against us? So with that confidence in our hearts, Let's don't cower when the pressure's on. Let's live for God with joy in our hearts. And you can do it in such a natural way. Declare your faith as you have opportunity. Don't have to be ashamed of it. The greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life is when I met Jesus Christ as my Savior. Why would I want to bury that under the debris of all the other things that happened to me? I want it to be on top. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Thank God he wasn't ashamed of me. Amen. 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 
What a wonderful time it is for us during these challenging days that we have been experiencing to take a few steps back from the rush and remind ourselves of what really is important and who is really important in our lives. And of course, you know the answer to those questions is is the, the name of one person, and that's God Almighty, our ever-present help in trouble, and the one who stands with us through thick and thin and helps us no matter what's going on around us. He is the stable of life. I know that you know that, but it's good to be reminded that's what we're here to do every single day. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the fear of sudden trouble. What do you do when something you didn't expect comes out of nowhere and just totally upends your world? Some principles from one of the Gospels tomorrow here on Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then. And don't forget, there's a wonderful resource available to you during the month of March when you send a gift of any size to help us here at Turning Point. We'd love to send you this volume called Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. It will um, help you remember some of the things we have been teaching during these days, and it will strengthen you and your walk as you live in this scary world. It will give you a permanent uh, record of what you've been listening to, and there's a lot more there as well. It's our way of saying thank you for your generosity and, well, just taking time to join with us in this endeavor. And we thank you so much for that. We want you to know that we thank you, and we want to tell you that in a tangible way. When you ask for the book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World, and Enclose a Gift, we'll send it to you right away. Thank you so much. Tomorrow, The Fear of Sudden Trouble. See you then. I'm David Jeremiah. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to know how Turning Point is touching your life. So please write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's encouraging new book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. 
The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study.